in God's kindness, uh, we have a long-term missionary, faithful brother that we've supported at Calvary for uh, over almost two decades now. Eric Mock and his wife Christy are with us this morning. Uh, but Calvary has had a relationship with Eric, with Christy, uh, for almost two decades. Uh, the Lord used Pastor Dan um, to sort of ignite this relationship with Eric uh, to really plug Calvary in in an amazing way to a ministry that's happening in Central Asia that is extraordinary. And if you missed Sunday school, uh, that will sort of be that was a great overview, brother, of what you guys are doing. We understand that was just the mountaintops, right? And there's so much more that's going on there. If you missed Sunday school, I'd encourage you to to listen to that. But Eric is uh, with a ministry called SGA that stands for Slavic Gospel Association. And he's going to come and bring the word for us this morning, brother. So will you come and, and preach to us, and we'll trust the Lord will take it, apply it to our hearts, and we'll be more faithful as a result. Good morning. This is a great day. Anytime the saints are gathered together into the household of God, it is a beautiful day. It is a day that we should celebrate. It's a, a day that we should not neglect. For our good God has spoken the truth of the gospel into our hearts. And we can cry glory hallelujah because we know that our Savior reigns and he will stand with us on, this, stand with us on that day. And we know that he is faithful. We know that he will always be with us. And because we know this, we can worship with joy. And we can step forward with hope. And so we gather together with the nations around the world. And we praise God because Jesus Christ is worthy to open the scroll. Jesus Christ will lead us and guide us and his promises are true. So it doesn't matter what church we're gathered in. It matters that we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And he is coming one day. Hallelujah. What a great day. It's such a joy for Christy and I to be with you. You are our family. I, we sometimes call our little church Calvary North uh, because the church plant began there. Dan baptized me, and he was there at the founding of our church. And <clears throat> in just a few weeks, it turns 10 years old. God's grace. But let me ask you, what limits have you set on love? What limits have you set on love for yourself? Maybe you established a certain amount of comfort zone or barriers or boundaries on who you will love and why you will love and how you will love. My task before you is to help you understand that definition as God defines it. If you are standing outside in the front door and one of the little kids here ran out in the street, would you hesitate to go rescue them? I don't know of anyone who would slow down one bit. You would want to save that child. In fact, you would even probably risk your life to save that child. But what about that child that's living in a home with a drunken set of parents? How about a child that's in a home that never knows the light of the love that every child should fill? Would you enter into that home and would you enter in and rescue that child? Not ripping them away from the family, but bringing the love of the gospel to that family. Now add to that 
That this family lives in a zone where there are missiles and rockets coming down and it may cost you your very life. Would you still rescue that child that's destined for no hope? Now let me add a little bit different. Let's say you're in a Muslim country. And while you're in a Muslim country, you know that if you utter the words of Jesus Christ as Messiah, as Lord and God, you can get stoned. That you could get beaten. That you can be killed. Would you still enter into the life of that child so that they can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm going to play a video for you of an individual who lives in an entirely Muslim community. I'm withholding the rest of the information. I can tell you later because we're live streamed. Uh, you're going to need to watch the screen and read the translation that is on the bottom. But I want you to hear about his life. Приветствую, дорогие братья и сестры. Меня зовут Икром. Я пастор этой церкви. Я сам бывший мусульманин. В наших краях очень, так сказать, гонение со стороны знакомых в таком случае, что ты зависишь от много других людей, потому что здесь такая культура другая. Поэтому, когда ты здесь становишься христианином, все тебя обзывают, что ты продал свою веру, ты изменил веру, ты такой плохой человек, поэтому очень трудно, если так сказать, здесь быть христианином. Но, с другой стороны, Господь Иисус говорил, что за меня вас будут ругать, убить, гнать, поэтому были такие моменты, что были гонения со стороны родственника, со стороны властей и были такие моменты, что мы как, как бы под поле собирались, мы открыто не могли собираться. Есть до сих пор такие опасения, но слава Богу, что Господь дает силу молитесь за нас, чтобы мы в таких ситуациях мы держали, да, мы были верны Господу. If your answer remains yes, I am such a person, I'm going to startle you with another question. Why not here in Fort Worth? What is stopping you in Fort Worth from telling people about the hope that you have in Jesus? It's very often that we see the, the task of declaring the gospel as someone else's job. Leave it to the pastor or leave it to uh, the missionary that travels to the other side of the world. But my friends, it is, it is not a special giftedness or a special calling. All of us are called to be witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to talk to you briefly this morning. I Hopefully it's briefly. I am a pastor and once the hands start moving, you never know how long it's going to take. I want to talk to you briefly this morning about a definition of the word love. There couldn't be anything more contentious in our world today than to define what love is. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to John chapter 15. Hopefully in your bulletin you've got an outline, and if you don't have the outline, we're going to be looking at the first three verses, John 15 verses 12 through 14, 
And if you're keeping notes, the title is What Loving Like Jesus Really Looks Like. And most of you should shudder when you hear that because in our social media, in our world, it is a confusing thing to hear someone talk about what loving like Jesus really looks like. So let's read together. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if, if you do what I command. I don't mean to cause controversy, but I saw a recent Facebook post that was startling. There were two female pastors who were a part of other denominations, I won't name them, who had gathered everyone together to talk about the love of Planned Parenthood for their community. They had gathered together to pray for the ministry of Planned Parenthood, to celebrate their faith and talk about how God was at work at this center. They went in to talk about homosexuality, about transgenderism, to talk about drinking and things like that that we all have different views on. And they say that was the loving thing to do. And in fact, if you do not tolerate that view, then you are hateful and not understanding. So let's dive into what God's Word says about biblical love and understand the mission that we've been placed on. So you look there in the beginning. This is my commandment that you love one another. Of course, I noticed that was in the men's room. There was a little a little wooden thing that said, love one another, good. In the men's room, men read it, love one another. This word commandment is amazing. It's a royal decree. In other words, the King of kings and the Lord of lords has said that you must love one another. And in fact, the word love is agapeo, which is the, not the noun, but the verb. It's a love that is dedicated to action. This is not just a thing where we say that socially and relationally we need to love one another, but the God and designer of our universe, the one who sustains the universe by His voice, who came to this earth and took on flesh, who bared our sins upon His shoulder, who is crucified, resurrected, ascended into heaven, and by God's grace is coming again soon, says you are to love one another and you, out of a royal decree, have been set apart as His ambassadors to love. And it's a sacrificial love. It's a love that comes when we consider others more important than self. So our church has been teaching through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse through Luke. Yes, uh, Dan invested in me rightly, verse by verse through Luke. And so if you can, turn to Luke chapter 10, verses 27 to 37. We're going to bounce around to a couple of passages. And this is the account of the Good Samaritan. And we're going to go through it a little quickly, but I, I want you to see something that is very important that comes out of this passage because we need to stay on target. Now you can drive into an RV center and it's the Good Sam Club. So everyone uses the picture of the Good Samaritan of how we should live how we should be around others. We should be the good Samaritan. In responding to the, the young man, he says, you should, uh, on, on how do you summarize 
the law and all that is taught, he answers, you shall love the Lord God with your heart, soul, and mind, and with your strength and your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he hesitated, worried about what the extent of that love is. And he says, but desiring to justify himself, he said, well, who is my neighbor? So Jesus, of course, gives us this wonderful parable. And as we all know, a parable is a story laid down to a beautiful truth. So we have to mind that truth. Starting in verse 30, a man was going to Jerusalem, Jericho, and he fell among the robbers and stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance there was a priest going down the road. This was a terrible portion of the road. The priest was likely on his way to Jerusalem. We're to assume that. Most scholars say he was on his way to make sacrifices for others. And he passed by on the opposite side, likely that he did not want to become ceremonially unclean by touching someone who might be dead. The Levite, of course, the assistant to the priest, the good associate pastor, not of this church, passed by on the other side of the road. He was challenged by the same thinking, but there was a Samaritan who would have been hated by the Jews, and he would have hated the Jews, and he saw this poor soul wounded on the side of the road, and he showed compassion on him. And the Greek word compassion is, is splankna. It's kind of a weird word. Splankna, which means guts. You know that feeling deep down inside when you see something that just captures you and you, you feel this feeling in your stomach that you have to do something. So compassion is pity that moves to action. So the Greek word is an action word that is compelling us by the, the emotions and our feelings. And so he got everything off of his donkey and he bound up this man's wounds and they used oil and wine and you see that and he set him on his own animal walking next to him took him to an inn paid for his his needs and then said when i come back if there's more i'll cover for this and verse 36 jesus says which of these three do you prove to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers and of course he said the one who showed him mercy and jesus says go and do likewise this is a a picture of lavish love. Jesus was very clearly given us a parable that showed that this Samaritan went beyond normal standards. It, he wanted to make sure it was clear that he had passed social economic limits. He is beyond any other limit that would have been a limit of the day, and he poured out this love. And you might respond and say, that's exactly right. That's the love they're talking about. This is why we should just love everybody, and that's the way it should be. But that's not the point of the parable. The parable is not about the lavish love. The parable is about the extent of who to love. The scribe was trying to justify, very clearly, of loving only those who loved him back or loving those who were like him. Birds of a feather flocked together. It wasn't about the lavishness of love. It was about the limitations of his love. And so the scribe was trying to bound his limit to say, I am honoring God in my bubble. It's true, right? And, and, and Jesus took him way outside the bubble because it blew every boundary he must have had. And so let's, let's look at the extent of Christ's love, because if you go back to the wording, everyone talks about one another, love one another 
but you never see on the signs the part that comes after it. We always say love one another. What comes after that? As I have loved you. And that's the part we seem to leave off, but that defines the type of love that we're talking about. This is the love that is so much more, that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that who would believe Him would not perish but have eternal life, that God looked upon our wicked sinfulness and He says, I got that. Even when we were the most disgusting, He looked at us before all time and He says, I've got that. In fact, I will establish this covenant. I will secure the bond. I will send my son. I will pick you up off the ground and I will adopt you as my child and I will give you the hope of heaven. I will, I will. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, over and over again, God says, I will do this. Just like my two-year-old granddaughter. No. She does her own thing even though the parents kind of know, don't touch the stove, it's going to burn. She's going to do what she's going to do. We have a few more grandchildren. And we're like this with God. God says, I love you. This is what I want from you. I have given everything for you. The hope of heaven is before you. And we say, well, we've got some life. We've got to live. And we forget about the love of God. And we look at the beauty of the love of God, not to just make us feel better about ourselves, not to just give us our best life, but that we would be redeemed. You see, God so loved the world because He wanted to redeem children for His own possession. He wanted us to live eternally with Him. He wanted a relationship with us that was not possible apart from His intervention. This lavish love was demonstrated in the parable of the Good Samaritan to remind us that the love of God was not just about our earthly pleasure, but the love of God was to take a woe-begotten people and make them children of God. And that that was the mission of, of Christ. There is a huge difference in that kind of love. In Matthew chapter 20, and, and by the way, you can go back to John, John 15, but in Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 to 28, we read, Jesus called to him and said, you know the rulers, the Gentiles lord over him and their great ones exercise authority over him. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Who would be first must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And everyone reads this and says, oh, this is how we need to be. We need to be humble and we need to serve others and we need to be about making everyone, taking care of everyone. And, and certainly SGA has a huge compassion ministry now, but that's not what it's about. It's about advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ because what are the words that follow in Matthew 20, verse 28? And to give his life as a ransom for many. Everyone likes to key on the part of doing good. And let me tell you, it's one of the most frightening things when someone says, thank you for doing good. I shudder because that has nothing to do with what we're doing. Nate Saint was willing to take a spear rather than take the life of an Aka Indian that may not know Christ. There's a young man that we heard a story about that Christy got just a few days ago where he was a believer and he was on the front lines and he was counseling people back from the front lines of the fight between Ukraine and Russia. He became so 
overwhelmed that there were men in those trenches dying apart from the gospel that he joined them to fight in the trenches and to share the gospel with each one of them until he lost his own life. Are you willing to love as Jesus loved? He goes on in that passage in in, in John, it goes on and says, Greater love has no one that they lay down their life for their friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. This is perfect circular logic, but it connects love to obedience. First of all, in the notes, the greatest love that he talks about, laying down your life for your friends. This is a qualifier, not just, it's not a one another. It is, it is a passage that talks about total sacrifice, that you're willing to give your life for others, that you lay down your life for them. You heard me quote earlier, John 3.16. You see it in football games. They raise it up, and sometimes I think no one knows what they're talking about because there's verses after that. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. I love you guys, but it would be really difficult for me to sacrifice my children or grandchildren for you. But God did that. We know of the hymn in Philippians 2, 5 through 9, or 5 through 8. It was in Philippians chapter 2 where, where Paul writes, Have this mind or this attitude among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Although he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And that means to be fought for. But he humbled himself, taking on the form of the servant, being born in the likeness of men. And, and you could almost add in there, being born to a very poor village couple, being poor and growing up in a, 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 a miserable town of no repute. And verse 8, being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus laid down his glory, even his life, that others would have a relationship with God the Father, the same relationship that he has known for all eternity. And sometimes we make it about what church we attend, or what style of music, or what we most love in our Christendom. And, and, and we're missing that we're worshiping God who redeemed you with the blood of his Son. And he says, I am giving you a royal decree that you go do the same. That you love as I have loved the world. And so greater love has no one that they lay down their life for another. And now he adds this qualifier of friend. The friend is the one who does what I command. And so this isn't love for the sake of love. It, it is intertwined beautifully with obedience to God's Word. In other words, a relationship that we have with God is predicated in part by our obedience to God, which is why He's given us the revelation of His Word, not for our guidance in this earthly world, but for our relationship with Him, that through Christ we would become more Christ-like and show the world what He is like. A friend of Jesus could be termed a faithful fruitful follower of him he has called us to righteousness and obedience in fact in matthew 4 17 it says this from jesus he began to preach repent and believe before the before the kingdom of god is at hand so now in this summary i'm, I'm giving you a lot to consider what is the commandment to love my friends it's not just 
enough to love people as the world loves people. That's syncretism and liberalism. My friends, in talking about obedience, it's not enough to drive people to holiness. That's legalism. We don't need a church of liberalism. We don't need a a church of legalism. We need a church that sees that its responsibility is to lay down its life for the gospel task of seeing people set right before God. Certainly the time is short. Certainly society is changing. We see wars and rumors of wars. We see COVID and other pandemics and we see financial hardship in the middle of this, now we have to have a sense of urgency that the time is growing short. I want to show you another video, if I may. This is an amazing video. I'm not going to tell you again where it is, but you can figure it out. What would you do if you were just told that you had three weeks to live? If you only had three weeks to live, the doctor was clear You have fourth stage cancer, get your affairs in order. And you're a poor refugee couple in a distant country. Their answer, plant a church. That's one of the most stunning and incredible things that I've ever met. I've met this this couple. In fact, they were educated by Dan in biblical counseling, Pastor Dan. And they thrive and they started planting a church And she would listen to Dan's teaching while she laid on a bed because she was in so much pain and she could barely move. But when the war broke out in Ukraine, she was declared a refugee and they gave her free access to cancer treatment that she couldn't afford. She's had 11 rounds of chemotherapy and their church is thriving and she leads music for the church. So I'm going to let you listen, I'm sorry, read. Шалом, дорогие братья и сестры, Огромное спасибо вам за молитвы. Я уже прошла десятую химию, намного лучше себя чувствую, и поэтому очень благодарю вас за молитвы. И сейчас Бог вот, пока я в больнице, дает возможность говорить Евангелие женщинам, которые тоже болеют этой болезнью. Поэтому прошу, чтобы вы и дальше молились, чтобы Бог давал и силы, и мудрости проходить. Ну и, конечно же, свидетельствовать им дальше об Иисусе Христе. Благодарим Бога за то, что вы с нами в этом процессе. И мы радуемся тому, что Бог дал дерзновение и силу, несмотря на болезнь, да. на трудности с документами, которые мы проходим, принять такое решение, чтобы начинать новую общину. Мы благодарим Бога, потому что Бог открывает двери. И мы видим, как много приехало русскоговорящих из северных стран. Мы видим, как сбывается пророчество. И некоторые из этих людей открыты к тому, чтобы слушать Евангелие. Эти люди потеряли дома, они потеряли стабильность. И они увидели, что все то, что они имели, это не имеет основания. Поэтому люди хотят иметь какую-то поддержку, помощь хотят иметь общение. И мы открыты, и мы готовы к тому, чтобы проповедовать таким людям. Продолжайте молиться за нас, чтобы Бог открывал сердца людей, чтобы Бог открывал двери для благовестия да. и давал нам дерзновение служить этим людям. 
Пусть Бог вас благословит. Огромное вам спасибо. Молитесь за нас. Спасибо огромное. С Богом. С Благослови Богом. вас Господь. Благословение Божие. By the way, they are absolutely the sweetest couple. You just kind of want to squeeze them the whole time you see them. Um, there was a time in which she could barely move, and she was in a wheelchair, and he would jog five kilometers, pushing the wheelchair, and she would read the morning devotional while he was jogging so that she could be outside. Incredible people, and you'll meet them. So now we continue on. This is what loving like Jesus looks like. Now, in your outline, I want to talk to you about then living it out. What does living like Jesus look like? Jesus goes on, starting in verse 15, and he says this, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what the master's doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in His name, He will give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. If you are a friend of Jesus and find yourself living in obedience to Him, in a sense, Jesus says, there's some things I want you to understand about what it means to live out your life with me and and if you have room in there there's going to be four points under there and then I'll give you what the ACT stands for in a bit the first part looking at verse 15 in part this is why we cry glory hallelujah God's revelation you see we're not more spiritual we're not more holy but the God of this universe that has put every star in his place who has revealed his word to us, who is the grand author who has written his story into our hearts and lives. He has revealed himself to us. He's always been there. He's always seen you, even when you were first conceived. God, before all time, saw you. Genetically, there's only one you. There's never been anyone like you. There'll be never anyone like you again. You are God's special creation. And so God saw you before all time and knew exactly what you needed. And He shined the light of the gospel into your heart. He is our loving Abba Father. He knew what we needed and He knew that we couldn't do it without Him. And like a grandfather to a dear little granddaughter scoops us up and He opens our heart to the truth of the Gospel. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4.6, God who said let light shine out of darkness is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. When you open your Bible and you see it as truth, it's not that you're wiser, it is that your Father in heaven said, I want to show you who I am. I want, me, I want you to know whose family you're a part of. I want you to see your ancestry. I want you to see your future. I want you to feel my presence and my love. And this is all a gift to our wayward hearts. 
God has done this. And so when we sing glory, hallelujah, we do it to our Father in heaven for the great things that He has done for us. And we can walk with joy and we can walk with hope. And so in whatever you are facing, if you know Jesus Christ and you understand the revelation of His Word, the Father of all of creation has opened that truth to you. And we should walk in joy. And we should walk in peace. And we should walk in hope. Because no one can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. No one, not even death or war or destruction or famine or the IRS. No one will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. And that's why we're gathered here. This joy. But you look at verse, the first part of verse 16, it gets even better. In this crazy mixed up word, we are world, we are reminded that God is sovereign. It's not up to us. Heaven is not up to our ability to live up to the task. It is it is not changed, it is not defiled, it is not fading, it's not at risk, it's not Star Wars that some dark Sith Lord will come and and, and disturb heaven. There is not whatever religious creation or, or philosophical creation means nothing that is human wisdom. What we know is God is sovereign. Why do we know this? The natural laws of physics tell us that. That God screams out of beautiful order in creation around us. God's revelation testifies to our hearts. Everything around us testifies that He's in control in a world racked with sin and out of control so that we might know we have hope that is unshakable. And He has given us this revelation. And He chose us before all time. He chose us. Paul writes in Ephesians, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy how? In Him and be blameless before Him. It is about Christ and through Christ and in Christ and He is our holiness. Not us, not all of our attendance in church and not even all our devotions. It's Christ and it's about Him. And God has done this that we would be blameless and we can't be blameless on our own. Only can that be done in Christ. And not only has He done this for us as he has reconciled us with Him, but He has also appointed us to a mission. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says this, he, he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to do what? To equip the saints. Hagios, the holy ones. Have you ever thought of yourself being a holy one? I think that's a real stretch for me, but maybe for you guys. But He calls them holy ones. Those are set apart. And why are you set apart? You are... You, for the work of ministry, diaconias, diaconas. This is, this is where we are set apart to serve. We are set apart to proclaim. In fact, John MacArthur says this quote, it was great. The Christian life is not a spectator sport. Jesus did not choose believers to stand idly by while the world continues on its way to hell. On the contrary, his explicit command is uh, command uh, is to go, therefore, and make disciples. Therefore, what do we see in the latter part of verse 16? Given this framework, go and bear much fruit and abide. 
The word in there, that third point, is to be committed. Be committed. We have been appointed to be poured out. Our life is not our own. We have laid down our life at the foot of the cross, as it were, and Christ has lifted us. The old, as Paul said, has gone away. The new has come. We are ambassadors of Christ, God making His appeal through us. 2 Corinthians 5. This pours through our life and is It is not about a moment in time. It's not about just attending church on Sunday and a Bible study. It is a a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week commitment that we would bear fruit over time. Now, the word abide in the Greek is minnow, not the fish. But it means to remain or abide over time. Christ said, I'm sorry, Paul says this in Philippians 121, to live is Christ, to die is gain. In fact, uh, the, the determiner is, does, that doesn't show up in the Greek. To live Christ, to die gain. And, and in Paul's mind, there is nothing else. There's, there's, there's no degrees of separation. Paul's laid everything down and it cost him everything in Philippi where he began his jailhouse church plant. It was there that the gospel began to grow through the jailer and those and and Lydia and and this church takes off. And he says, for me, from prison, shackled to the praetorian guard, he says, for me, it's Christ. I have no other life than Christ. And to die is that much better. And so here we are in John and we go back to verse 8. What did Jesus say? By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. And so along with the fact that God has redeemed us and set us apart and appointed us to ministry, that we would do something with it. He didn't save you to sit in pews. He saved you to put you into the game. And so here is the picture. So Mark 16, 15, you know, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all creation. So finally, when you look at verse 16, the third part of verse 16, and you move into verse 17, I'm going to give you a, a, a simple reminder word here. Just be relational. Be relational. Our love flows from our obedience to Christ, that we have to have a relationship with the living God. And none of what I'm preaching means anything if you're not saved. If you prayed a prayer when you were three years old and you're hanging on to it like a magic talisman, but there's no fruit in your life, you may not be saved. We are called to obedience, my friends. It is not the gospel message that goes to the end of the earth, and certainly I get to see it, but it's here true in Fort Worth. It's not about attending church. I can't stand in my garage and become a car. Okay, you can't stand in a church and be saved. God transformed your heart through the light of the gospel being shown into your heart that you would believe. And when you believe, you walk in obedience. There is fruit. This is not easy believism. It is clear in Scripture that we live a life set apart to God and we walk in obedience to Him. And when you do, you are a friend of Jesus. That you pour out your life. And one of the things Jesus then calls us to, not only a direct relationship with Him in that vertical sense, but we are called in the horizontal sense to have a relationship with others. The outflow of our obedience in Christ and our love of Christ is a love of others. Not for the sake of tolerance. Not for the sake of of just being endearing. Not for the sake of doing good things. But that they would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and be redeemed. 
That's the so that. That's why there's 19 million meals going through local churches. That's why SGA does what it does. We don't, we don't send Americans except when we visit. We're supporting 6,000 churches. And these churches are the ones that God has raised up in their community who are on the border of Afghanistan. They are in the far east portions of the Arctic, of Russia. They are in the war zone of Ukraine on the Russian side, the Belarusian side, the Ukrainian side. They're in Israel. They're in Poland. They're in everywhere. These are God's people with God's message. Normal people, ordinary people who have been placed in extraordinary circumstances by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords by his royal decree to love their people. And we get a chance to serve them. We get a chance to tell their story, but you know what their story tells us to do? Do the same thing in Fort Worth. Do the same thing in your family. Do the same thing in the grocery store. Do the same thing. Why? Because God's coming soon. And it's the most loving thing you can do to challenge someone's sin and tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's not about your styles and your preferences. Not about the preacher you like to listen to or the podcast. Those are all helpful things. But it's about Christ and Him crucified, resurrected, ascended, and coming again. He is the author and perfecter of our faith. So I have this last video I want to share with you. And this last video comes from the war zone of Ukraine. And if you hear about the battles in the east and along the south, there's a village called Orkiv that's down here. It's about a kilometer away uh, from the front line where they're being shelled every single day. And two pastors in this video, um, who some of you know, are going down to the war zone, even with the artillery fire coming down, because they know there's souls there that have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so they go there to tell them. Hello, my brothers and sisters. I am Dmitry. I am a pastor from Zaporizhia. Now we are from Kulepole. This is the Zaporizhia region. And you'll hear the explosions. We have uh, foods, uh, we have uh, hygiene and uh, word of hope for people who live in war. Немножко шумно сегодня. Мы сейчас находимся в Гулеполе. Почему мы здесь? Потому что мы верим в Господа Иисуса Христа, и Он для нас является примером. Всегда, когда собирались вокруг Него люди, Он шел к людям, Он шел, служил им. И не только говорил им слова надежды и слова Евангелия, Он служил им. Вот эти люди в Лейполе, мы им служим с нашими братьями, с нашей командой. Молимся о них и просим, чтобы и вы также молились о нас. Hello, brothers and sisters. I am Dmitry. My name is Dmitry. This is Vlad. We are pastors from Zaporozhye. We have uh, now a word of hope for people who live in war. Vitaim vas, друзья, приветствуем. Мы очень благодарны за то, что вы молитесь о нас. За нами вот здесь дома, которые разбиты. Мы уже год находимся в войне. И в первом видео я говорил вам о том, что Господь для нас пример. Мы здесь, потому что наш Господь, Он шел к людям, 
шел к людям, чтобы кормить, чтобы заботиться и чтобы проповедовать Евангелие. Слава Богу, мы проповедуем Евангелие, поддерживая, помогая людям. И большая признательность вам за вашу молитву, за вашу поддержку и помощь. Слава Иисусу Христу! Слава Иисусу Христу! Просим молитва нас. Да благословит вас Господь! These faithful men have been serving since 2014. In fact, Vlad uh, was captured by the Russians in 2014 and tortured for three weeks. As they tortured burning holes, he still has holes in his hands where they use cigarettes to burn holes through his hand. While they tortured him, he said only one thing, I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, and this is all I will tell you. And they said, you must be a spy. And he says, no, I'm a spy for the Lord. I'm coming to tell you about the gospel. And finally, the, the commander said, well, I've had enough of the guy. Let's just shoot him in the head. And uh, I get the commander's fiance apparently intervened and said, we don't want the blood of a holy man on our hands. So send him out through the minefield and into the battle. And if he gets to the other side, then maybe God is with him. And he walked all the way through the minefield and didn't get blown up. And there were actually pastors on the other side who grabbed him. One week later, he put gas in his van and drove right back to start bringing people out because he was afraid his own people might suffer apart from hearing the gospel, and he began moving people. And so SJ has been a part of serving these men, and you have been a part of that, and you've even sent teams to meet them, uh, and they continue to do ministry to this day. And so we are, you are through us, and with us a part of serving these churches as they take the gospel to their people. So here's the quick memory tool that was at the bottom of your uh, bulletin. ACT, ACT. Letter A, I know this is probably poorly done. Uh, actively love. Let love be a verb. Take action. Compassion is pity move to action. Love doing something. That deep down feeling is not to make someone feel better, but to actively love them by proclaiming Jesus Christ. 1 John 3.16 is your reference. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. See, commit. Christ is our all in all. Not only are we to love with action, but active, actively love, but we are to commit. Commit to Christ as our all in all. Um, Christ is in Matthew 5.16, the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The fruit of living, uh, living out for Christ, they, one of the, the greatest dissonances we have in our society is people who claim the name of Christ and never live an ounce of life for him, who claim to be Christians and do not know him. This dissonance echoes throughout the halls of this world. We can't be such a people. Let our lives be the same as our claims. So actively love, commit that Christ is our all in all. And then the T, which is really important in this church, teach them. Teach them to obey. Because if they are the friends of Jesus, they will obey. And so there's this love and this obedience. Teach them to obey. Again, Jesus said this, you are my friends if you do what I command you. So act. Actively love. Commit to abide in Christ and teach. Simple reminder tool. If you don't remember anything, or maybe you remember the videos, remember to live out in action. But this last thing I want to remind you, how does it play out for the uncommitted? Look again at John 15, 14. There's one little word, two letters. You are my friends if, 
you do what I command. My friends, I, I would be remiss if I didn't do what all my brothers and sisters in these other countries are challenged to do, is to challenge your heart to make sure you're right with God. If you see verse 14 and you see that you are claiming to be a friend of Jesus, but you aren't living a, a lick of life for him, you may not have the promise of heaven. And I challenge you today to make sure that you are following him and him alone, that you're not resting in a small baptism or you're a reference of some association in the church. If there's going to be a revival that starts, let it happen here in Fort Worth and let it start inside this church and let the people live under that royal decree to be friends of Christ, to love as Christ did, but also love Him relationally first through living a life in obedience to Him. Look at that if word and tremble. If it were not for the grace of God, we would all be lost. Therefore, let us proclaim the hope that we have in Jesus, and I hope we're going to sing one more song, and let us celebrate for the King of kings and the Lord of lords is on His throne and wars and geopolitics and social attitudes mean nothing because as we sing praise to Him, we also will sing praise in eternity. By God's grace, glory, hallelujah. Let's sing.